Good morning. Now before you start thinking, what does Psalm 96 have to do with Mother's Day? Well, nothing. It doesn't have anything to do with Mother's Day. It is May Missions Month and therefore we are still doing um, mission-orientated messages. But I do want to wish the mothers in the audience a happy Mother's Day. Um, I haven't had an opportunity to wish my mum a happy Mother's Day yet, so I'll, I'll do that as soon as I get back to my seat. Let's pray. That's terrible. Heavenly Father, as we delve into your word this morning and as we look at this psalm, we pray that you would speak to each one of us. Reveal to you, to us your glory, Lord, and, and we pray that we would be, um, be able to declare your glory to the nations. Lord, as we, as we go into this psalm, I pray that you would speak to each one of us, speak through me, and minister to each, each of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you may have been to overseas, uh, overseas to places like Thailand or India or Cambodia or Bangladesh. And you may know what it means to haggle. To, to haggle means to not pay the first price offered to you for a, an item, whether it be a souvenir or a piece of food or whatever the case may be. You don't pay that first price and sometimes you don't pay the second, third or fourth price either. It is, it is a way to, to get the best price possible. Haggling is to drop the price and, and sometimes if you start walking away from a, from a stall, the price will drop dramatically. The opposite of haggling is to state that something is non-negotiable. You might have seen this in, in checks, non-negotiable. Um, Checks can be non-negotiable. It's, it's written across it in big red letters. For those of you who don't know what checks are, it's like Apple, Apple Pay or PayWave in the olden days. <laughs> A non-negotiable is something um, that is fixed. This check will not, ne- not be negotiated. And we have non-negotiables in our character as well. Uh, some of these things might be that you exercise three times a week or you spend f- time with your family on a, on a Sunday afternoon. There'll be no negotiation entered into it. Well, the central theme to this psalm this morning is, is a non-negotiable. And it's three words. The Lord reigns. There is no negotiation in this psalm about who reigns. Not just over this psalm, but over everything. Everything is founded on this revelation. Everything is centred around this revelation in this psalm and in our lives as well. And the writer calls on people, the people of Israel, to declare God's glory among the nations on the foundation that it is he who reigns. The Lord reigns is a, is a non-negotiable for us as human beings. Even if we're aware that God reigns, 
he still reigns. Even if we're unaware that God reigns, he still reigns. Even if we call ourselves Christians and yet don't give God that rightful rule over our lives, he still reigns. God's reign over all things at all times does not rely on our acceptance of that principle, that non-negotiable. And this psalm compels us to be declaring God's marvellous works among the nations on that principle, that God reigns. Verse 3, declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous works among all the peoples. We're going to go through a couple of of, um, different principles that are in this psalm that enable us to declare God's glory to the nations. The first one is that the Lord created. The second half of verse 5 says, But the Lord made the heavens. There are four ways in which God reveals his glory to us. Through creation... That's, that's natural revelation. Through conscience, personal revelation, our, our inbuilt sense of what is right and wrong. Through Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, and through His Word. Uh, there are four ways, they are four ways that God reveals Himself to us. But this psalm speaks of God creating the heavens. That is the way that God has revealed his glory to us. It says it in a a kind of nonchalant sort of way, doesn't it? But the Lord made the heavens. And you may have heard me say this before, but there's another nonchalant way that God, that there's there's implied that God has created. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 16, it says... God made the stars. It doesn't even say that much. It says, and the stars. On the fourth day, God made the sun to govern the day and the moon to govern the night. And it says in a nonchalant sort of way, and the stars. It's such a small little statement and yet it carries with it such a great weight of, of information. God created the stars, most of which cannot be seen with the naked eye and some cannot be seen with the best of telescopes. God made the stars, but he also made this earth and everything in it and us. He has created this earth to orbit the sun in such a perfect orbit that it is not too hot and not too cold for us to live God has made this earth to orbit the, orbit the sun on an axis so that for one half of the year the northern hemisphere receives more sun and daylight hours and experiences their spring and summer while the southern hemisphere receives less daylight hours and has, has their winter and autumn, allowing seasons. God has created different environments throughout this earth, deserts and rainforests and everything in between, rivers and coastlines and seas. And in each of these environments, God created hundreds and thousands of different species of birds, insects and animals and fish. 
and crustaceans and all that sort of thing. Just looking at insects, we haven't discovered how many different species of insects there are in this world. Google tells me that there's 10,000, over 10,000 species of insects discovered every year. And over one and a half million species of insects have been discovered. Each of these created for a purpose. And God created it all. Our author tells us to declare God's glory because of this. To declare God's glory because of creation. By holding fast to the fact that God has created this earth and everything in it, including us, is one way that we can be declaring God's glory to the nations holding fast to the biblical account of the six days of creation and on the seventh day God rested is one way that we can be declaring God's glory to the nations. And it is plain to us. Romans chapter 1, 19 and 20 says, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. But sometimes we suppress this truth. Just as, as Paul was speaking about in Romans chapter 1, we suppress the truth that God has created this earth. Verse 5, it says, For all the gods of the people are worthless idols. And instead of notifying and noticing God's glory in creation, we, we fashion for ourselves our own idols, our own things that we will worship. This psalm was written in a time when idol worship was a very real thing. Little gods were carved from wood or stone or gold. There were Asherah poles dedicated to the to false gods that were were worshipped. And none of these gods had ever done anything. They were worthless. The gods that the nations worshipped and the that Israel eventually compromised themselves with were worthless. These gods never achieved anything. They were little gods without eyes, without ears, without arms, without mouths. They didn't speak, they didn't see, they didn't hear prayers, they didn't act. These gods never achieved anything. Israel wasn't saved from slavery by the the sun god Ra. They weren't led around the wilderness for 40 years by the the moon goddess Nikal. The prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18 didn't get an answer from their god Baal because he didn't hear them, because he was worthless. And these gods are not real gods. 
They are worthless. As it says here in this psalm. But quite often in our time, we substitute the, God, the glory of God for worthless things as well, don't we? I carry around my mobile phone in my pocket and sometimes it can be a little God to us. It's worthless. Don't worry, I've got a case on it. We have possessions that are worthless. We have money that is worthless. These things never did anything for us. We, sometimes we create our, our own gods out of our careers, out of our family. These things are worthless when placed in comparison with God and his glory. Nothing will compare to God's glory. No matter how valuable we see it, nothing will compare to God's glory. This psalm and and portions of it are reflected in 1 Chronicles 16. And it comes after a time when God had worked in a miraculous way to bring back the Ark of the Covenant, the thing that, that signified God's presence with the Israelites. It was captured by the Philistines after, after Saul had sent it out as a token of God's presence with them to, to go and attack the Philistines. It spent seven months in the country of the Philistines. And you can read about this in in 1 Samuel chapter 5. It makes me laugh and giggle to myself when I read the story of, of where they placed the ark. They placed it in the temple of Dagon. During the first night, the, the uh, image of Dagon fell over on its face. So the people put it back up into its place. On the second night, the image of Dagon fell over again and it snapped off the head and the hands of this this image, this idol, just leaving the trunk intact, signifying that this was just to confirm that all other gods are inferior to the God of the universe, the God who created this universe. And the one who created us, and longs us to have a relationship with him. And one day, one day we will see that all of these other gods are certainly worthless and inferior. There will come a day when the Lord will return and judge this earth. The Lord will return to judge. In verse 10. On that day when we see God's glory in its fullness, when we recognize our need for him, when we have have come to him with repentance and, and when we have recognized our need for him to save us, we will receive eternal life. 
However, the opposite is also true. Those who have not submitted to God's reign and rule over their life will not have will not have eternal life. They will not go to an eternity with, with God. They will go to an eternity without him, which is something that, that you don't want to go and see. It's not a place that you want to go. It's not going to be a party with all your mates. The question might come from some, how can a loving God send people to hell? That's not the most pressing question. Why would you deny a loving God's rightful place in your life to reign in your life and why would you choose hell instead? Perhaps unknowingly, but why would you choose that? See, God is loving, but also God is just. God is is loving, but he, he is also righteous. And you cannot have a righteous God who will tolerate sin. You cannot have a, a loving God and a righteous God who will tolerate sin. If God tolerates sin and does not punish it, then he is not righteous. But he is righteous and he will judge and punish sin. Look at the words in verse 10 there. He will judge the peoples. But here's the good news. He will judge the peoples with equity. Because God is creator, this gives him the right to judge. Because God reigns, whether we recognize it or not, this gives him again the right to judge. But he will judge with equity. He will be a righteous judge, forgiving those who have asked for forgiveness, saving those who have asked for salvation and been given salvation. And this is what we are called to do, folks. In verse 2, it says to tell of his salvation from day to day. Our God has revealed his glory to us. He has revealed his glory through creation. He has revealed his glory through his written word. But the best way that he has done this is that he has revealed his glory, his power, his majesty and his righteousness through Jesus Christ. The word in the flesh He has revealed his power through the cross where salvation is initiated. Have a look with me, if you will, to to 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father 
and with his son, Jesus Christ. You see, it is through Jesus that God has revealed his salvation, his saving efforts in this earth, in order that we might see and tell of his wondrous glory and his wondrous acts, that we might praise him, that we might recognize how good he is. And it's not as if God needs our praise or a relationship with him. He knows that we need a relationship with him. And it is only through a, a relationship with Jesus that we can have our sins forgiven, that we can have new life now, that we can submit to God's reign and rule over our lives and that we can see and tell of his glory. I want you to think individually and personally right now. Do you wake up and tell of God's salvation to yourself? Do you wake up and and say, and I'm just thinking of myself now, Dale, God has revealed his glory to you. God has revealed his glory to you and he has saved you. Do we stop and think personally what it means to be saved? What it means to have a relationship with God? And then out of that, do we stop and think what it means to be saved for others? Do we stop and think about others' need for a saviour? I don't think we spend enough time dwelling on what it means for ourselves to be saved. And we definitely don't spend enough time to think about what it means for others to be saved, especially those that we meet that don't know Christ. We have been saved. We are being saved. And this is through no doing of our own. And others can also receive that salvation. Not only can they receive it, but they they need it. And so our psalmist calls us to declare God's glory to the nations. In light of all this, that God created, that God will judge, that God reigns, that God saves, that God is gracious, that God is righteous, that God is loving, that God has given us an opportunity to have a relationship with him. Therefore, we need to declare his glory to the nations. His grace and mercy and righteousness impacts us personally and it is through this grace that we have received a relationship and forgiveness and will one day receive eternal life. This causes me to want to declare his glory to the nations. But do we do this? Do we plead with people to come to Christ? 
with tears, with urging. Not just on an information level, but from a personal level, do we plead with people to come to Christ? Because they need it. We are assured that Jesus will come back one day and when he does, he will judge the righteous and the wicked. Time is uncertain. In fact, time is short. No one knows the hour of the day or the day, only God the Father. And we need to get involved in God's mission here and now. Each one of us have been given a mission by God to declare his glory to the nations through words, through actions, through deeds. And at the moment, and and just in the last 12 months, we've had more nations coming to this country than ever before in history. People fleeing civil wars, people moving here just for a better life from Sudan, from Somalia, from Ethiopia, from Thailand, from Syria. Fleeing war, refugees. You don't have to go overseas to be involved in cross-cultural missions. And I don't want to diminish the fact that, that there is a huge sacrifice placed on people's hearts. There's a huge effort in being involved in going to the nations overseas. But we have a mission field right outside that door. This mission that I, that I speak of is to declare God's glory through our actions and our deeds. And if you don't know of God's glory, find out more. Show people that he is good, that he is righteous, that he is merciful and loving and gracious and that he can be trusted with our lives, that he reigns as king but he also came and died on the cross as a king, that he saves, that he longs for us to have a relationship with him, a meaningful relationship with him. And as I've said there, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to declare God's glory first to yourself and then among the nations. We're going to come around the the communion table very shortly and this is one way where we declare God's glory to ourselves, where we are reminded of the fact that Christ came, shed his blood, broke his body, in order that we might have forgiveness of sins, that we might have new life, that we might have eternal life. And I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 to 29, where Jesus initiates the the Lord's Supper. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread And after blessing it, broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks to them, 
And to it, given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in the Father's kingdom. We are asked to declare God's glory. If the the communion stewards would come forward, please. We are asked to declare God's glory through creation, through his worthiness, through his judgment, and through what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. And this is a an enormous way that we can be declaring God's glory to ourselves. I ask if you have not made a personal commitment to submit to the Lord's reign and rule over your life, to follow Christ, it would be better for you to not participate in this table, but instead come to speak with myself or Pastor Duncan or one of the elders after the service, and they'd love to share more with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this psalm. But more, we thank you for revealing your glory to us, both through creation, through your marvelous works in history, and and through your salvation initiated in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that in Jesus we can have forgiveness of sins and that in Jesus we can have new life with you now and life eternal. Lord, we pray for the mission that you have placed on each of our hearts in whatever capacity that might be. Lord, I pray that we would be obedient to that call to declare your glory to the nations. Lord, again, I thank you for revealing that to us personally and corporately. We pray that we would be able to find the words and, and the trust in you that, that we need to be able to declare your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.